you've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Black Man with a Gun Show. I'm your host, Ken Blanchard, and thank you for joining me on episode 389. 389. Woo! This week, tips for the urban shooter. I'm going to take you back to remember September 2001, 9-11. Need you to do a book review for me on Amazon. Talk about some Washington Post news. And I'm going to tell you about an artist an author by the name of Dan King, who wrote two cool books that I have. All this and more coming up next. Blackmanwithagun.com Ken Blanchard's Pro-Gun Podcast. Well, hello there. How you doing? How have things gone since the last time me and you were together? Get any shooting in? Took any training classes? No? Come on, you got to get on with that. Have you booked your ticket to the uh, Gun Rights Policy Conference in Chicago? It's going to be a hoot, actually. I'm not going to be able to make it. But tell me how it is. Mm-hmm. If you've never been, the Gun Rights Policy Conference is it's an event put on totally by the Second Amendment Foundation, and they will give you a suitcase full of free books to take with you. So take an extra briefcase or bag or something because you're going to have probably about 40 pounds of stuff when you leave. All free. And there's like a, what do you call it, cocktail on Friday night. Then the conference starts early Saturday morning. And you'll be sitting on your butt listening and talking heads and panels and good conversation and networking in between on breaks. And then they have a lunch. And then they talk some more. And then they bring you back together. And then you have like a, another cocktail thing. And you go find some food on your own. And then you go network some more and meet with some really cool people. And then Sunday morning, you go find another seat. And you grab all your stuff. And you get some more talking heads till about noon. And then they conclude. And then you go back home with your brain so huge and full of information that you can't wait to go out and conquer the world. That's the Gun Rights Policy Conference. It's absolutely free. You just got to book your own room. And uh, this time that hotel is right in the airport. So as soon as you get cleared through a baggage claim and grab your gear, hit up the steps, and you're right into the Hyatt. Hotel's right there. Boom. How easy is that? Don't have to go out anywhere with any crazy people in Chicago. But if you want to go out, there's some stuff to do. Chicago rocks, man. Yep, that's the deal. After John Wayne leads us in the Pledge of Allegiance, I'm going to take you back to a September to remember. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Do we even know why we do what we do? We've been reacting for so long, many have forgotten the nexus for why we train so hard, prep, store, and worry. It wasn't always like this. But it's been a growing trend since 1999. The fear of Y2K shutting down all electronics as we knew it was big stuff back in 
Y2K. The artist, again known as Prince, foresaw it all in a 1980s classic called 1999. Not going to sing it for you. But it was the first in a series of apocalyptic themes during my generation. And it's not new. It followed the fear of the H-bomb, the atomic bomb, and World War III. It's inspired many cult classics. But you know, in the last 15 years, we have been driven, manipulated, and had our emotional buttons pushed by terrorism. Where were you September 11th, 2001? Remember this? It appears that the, there is more and more fire and smoke enveloping the very top of the building. And as fire crews are descending on this area, it, it, it does not appear that there's any kind of a, an effort up there yet. Now remember, oh my God. Oh my God. That looks like a second plane. Just I did not see a plane go in. That, that just exploded. We I, just saw another plane coming in from the side. You did. I did that was out of absolute Yes, and that's view. the second explosion. You could see the plane come in just from the right-hand side of the screen. So this looks like it is some sort of a concerted effort to attack the World Trade Center that is underway in downtown New York. Did you hear the explosion oh, from yes. your position? Yes, we did. As a matter of fact, we, we heard it and... and because I was just like standing there pretty much looking out the window. I didn't see what caused it or if there was an impact. So you have no idea right, right oh, now? Oh, there's another one. Another plane just hit. <gasps> right? Oh, my God. Another plane has just hit. It hit another building. Flew right into the middle of it. Explosion. My God, it's right in the middle of the building. This one into the east tower. Yes. Yes. Right in the middle of the building. And right now... That, yes, that was definitely looked like it was on purpose. It was definitely on purpose. What happened to our country? What happened to our minds? Our belief systems, our faith, our government. Eight days before I had given my trial sermon as a minister. Changing jobs. I was getting a little education. Becoming an analyst. Having a career change. It was a good thing. Schools were back in session. Kids were going back to school. It was a normal morning. September 2001. Our world changed. It was our Pearl Harbor moment. Three hijacked passenger planes carried out a coordinated suicide attack against the World Trade Center in New York City, the Pentagon, and Washington, D.C., killing everybody on board the planes and nearly 3,000 people on the ground. A fourth plane crashed into a Pennsylvania field, killing all on board after passengers and crew attempted to wrest control from the hijackers. September 2001. So much has changed since then. What happened to you? I know a lot of folks enlisted in the military. I mean, it was a big rush. Everybody was going to get some. We have more veterans now than we ever had. And some got hosed, some got abused, and some got forgotten. Some are taking advantage of the system, scamming wounded warriors and all that. There's been a huge cry for preparation, getting ready for the next apocalypse. It started in Y2K, but it really got hyped up after 9-11, after this. Counterterrorism became a household word. Little soccer moms 
all of a sudden knew who Osama bin Muhammad bin Adwad bin Laden was. Al-Qaeda popped into the scene. Remember that? I think the first cultural war of Islam versus Christianity popped up for the first time in a lot of households. Churches were full. It wasn't even Christmas, Mother's Day, or Easter. Folks were thinking about taking care of theirs. There was a sudden militarization of our law enforcement. The good guys suddenly started wearing black. Government and politicians started using fear to accomplish things even more. Four years later, Hurricane Katrina showed us how the government can fail. A lot of people, maybe even some listening to this show, got their first handgun, their first rifle, their first shotgun. Didn't even know what they were going to do with it, but they wanted it. Our unit crew? A lot has changed since 2001, hasn't it? Since then, Osama bin Laden has been killed. There's a new group out that's scaring people. It's called the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, or ISIL, also known as the Islamic State of Iraq and Assyria, ISIS. It's a Sunni, jihadist group out in the Middle East that we want to stay in the Middle East. It's self-proclaimed status as a caliphate, which claims religious authority over all Muslims across the world and aspires to bring much of the Muslim-inhabited regions of the world under its political control, starting with Iraq, Syria, and other territories in the Levant. And the Levant is actually Jordan, Israel, Palestine, Lebanon, Cyprus, and southern Turkey. I did say Israel too, right? Yeah. That's what you hear about today. But I remember something else too. We were a nation for a few months. Yeah, and it was a beautiful thing. There was less division. Old glory flew high on several houses. We were one nation under God. I heard an atheist holler, Jesus, and I just smiled. 8.46 a.m., September 11th, Muhammad Atta and other hijackers aboard American Airline Flight 11 crashed a plane into the 93rd through the 99th North Tower of the World Trade Center. Our folks were commenting on it, trying to figure out what was going on. I was watching it in a classroom. I was taking a break, and I knew immediately the stuff was going to hit the fan, so it was time to move. I remember grabbing my stuff and getting on the subway home. We were underground when the plane hit the Pentagon and they had to close the station. And I got out, I forgot where, and and walked the rest of the way. I remember using SMS, the text messaging at the time. I think Nextel was the only phone that was operating because they shut the cell towers down for emergency use. So if you had a pager back then, that was the only thing you could talk to or talk with. Since then, a lot of stuff about prepping and getting ready for the apocalypse, the zombie apocalypse, the doomsday. It all stems from here. During the evacuation of the South Tower at 9.03 a.m., 
hijackers crashed United Airlines Flight 175 into the floors 75 through 85 of the World Trade's towers, killing everybody on board and hundreds inside the building. At 9.37, Flight 77 crashed into the western facade of the Pentagon, killed 59 people on board and 125 military and civilian personnel inside. The FAA shut down everything over the continental U.S. First time in history. White House sirens were going. Cars were scrambling. U.S. Capitol building was evacuated. A whole bunch of high-profile buildings and landmark spaces. 959, the South Tower of the World Trade Center collapses. At 10.07, the hijacked Flight 93 in Pennsylvania crashes deliberately into Somerset County, Pennsylvania. The North Tower collapses at 1028, a full 102 minutes after being struck. It's mayhem, it's destruction. And it changed us. Many became gun owners, preppers. It was a lot easier to talk to your spouse about wanting to be proactive. But how many guns do you need for terrorism? Make sure you don't get caught up in that thing of the gun itself is going to save you. It takes more than that. It takes some planning. It takes some, some thought. You got to have a plan. What are you going to do with your family if you were sheltered in place, locked down, if you couldn't go anywhere, if the best place was not to move. Do you have water? Do you have food? Do you have a way to move? All that stuff became evident in September 2001. So today, 15 years later, or 14 days later, no, I can't count, do we even know why we do what we do? Are you just reacting? Are you just buying stuff because it's cool? Because you want to get it before it goes away? Do you have a plan? Are you prepared? I'm asking you to facetiously to, to do more than just buy another gun. Take a look at what you can do to protect your family from the next national disaster or emergency. A lot of uh, uncertainty right now as to what is happening. You can see there are choppers I believe that could be a police helicopter that is coming. Oh, wow. We just saw oh my goodness. You are another, looking at another live picture right now. Oh, my goodness. Of what, what I believe was a plane that just hit another plane. This Tower does not two. look like an accident of any kind at this point. Another plane has hit Tower 2, the Twin Towers. Um, you hate to say the words, but what comes to mind right now, terrorist attack. That is what it looks like at this point. Um, this is something that you've seen on live television just unfolding. Uh, haven't seen anything like this ever before develop on live television in New York. So I ask you again, where were you when you heard about it the first time in 2001? What has changed in your life? I would love to see the comments on the show notes, episode number 388, as we go through this next week. What has changed in your life? What do you do differently? How are you preparing for tomorrow?
This is a listener-sponsored show, also sponsored by Crossbreed Holsters. Being an armed citizen means having a gun with you all the time. Carrying a firearm every day requires a holster that is both concealable and comfortable. Whether you choose our Super Tuck Deluxe or Mini Tuck, you'll have the confidence that comes from being discreetly and comfortably armed, prepared to face unforeseen dangers. Crossbreed holsters are handmade in the USA, come with a lifetime warranty and a two-week try-it-free guarantee. Order your holster today at crossbreedholsters.com. I want to give a quick shout-out to all the patrons of the Black Man with the Gun Show. Like Brother Mo says, love don't pay the bills. This patron account thing, I didn't know how it was going to work at first. Um, it takes some getting used to. But I want to thank Vincent and Sincere, Stephen and Don, Kay and Alex, Greg and Ken H, Steve and Tom, Greg and Ken C, and Robert and Mo and Michael and Mr. Gadgets and Jack for your support. You guys help me financially and spiritually. Yeah, a lot of encouragement comes with somebody actually spending a dollar or two. You know how it is when you try to do well, and I appreciate you. Thank you. At patreon.com forward slash black man with a gun is where my patrons hang out at. And thank you guys for taking care of a brother. All right, this popped into my head, and I won't have to do the. I'm going to do some writing. I'm spitballing it at the moment. But I want to define something for you. Back in the day, like about 20, let's see, 2008, I called this show The Urban Shooter Podcast. Now, the urban part of it has nothing to do with color. Urban, as defined by Merriam and Webster and a bunch of online dictionaries, basically means from the city. There is a difference between an urban shooter and a rural shooter or one who is has shot out in the country, has shot out in open spaces. And the biggest is, if you're an urban shooter, truly, there's some characteristics that you have that you might want to fix. There's nothing wrong with being an urban shooter, but you can pretty much tell where you are in your level of training and what you have. Mm-hmm. So it's not a negative, just urban shooters, this is for you. If you call yourself an urban shooter, has nothing to do with you being black, brown, yellow, or tan. It means you live in the city. It means you probably shoot at an indoor range. It probably means you have a really bad holster because the holsters that urban shooters usually buy, you can't draw effectively and use. After a couple of practices, you'll pull the whole holster out and the gun. Guarantee. One of the big differences is that in training, you can't shoot from a holster at most indoor ranges for liability and just paranoia. And nobody trains properly in indoor ranges. You have just static. You're shooting in one direction. You're not used to looking left and right. You're not used to clearing a line or making a, your gun safe because there's others near you. You're kind of in your own little world as we do in the city. But one of the things I want you to start thinking about is getting a better holster if you're an urban shooter, investing in some training. That means, and as soon as you take the training, you'll learn how crappy your Uncle Mike's holster is or that ballistic nylon thing that you have with the metal clip on it. Uh-uh, won't cut it. you learn about 
in the waistband and outside the waistband and appendix carry, and you'll learn about quality stuff. Yep. And then sometimes you'll find out that the gun that you've been using for target practice sucks in tactical use. But you won't know that unless you take some training. Now, now is a good time of year to do dry fire. Before you go to the range again, see if you can work with an empty pistol and work on magazine manipulation. Drawing from a holster, shoulder bag, concealed position. Unloading and reloading. Presentation to the target. Because once you get to the range, all you can do is click, bang, 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 bang. Invest in maybe a CERT pistol. That's S-I-R-T. It's a little bit around 200 bucks or less. Has a weighted magazine. Laser light has a, a gamish kind of a firearm, but works the same. Training saves lives. If you're an urban shooter, nothing wrong with it. Just know that you've been limited by where you shoot. That the training that you have to shoot safely, to shoot accurately, is different than a real scenario. So don't get a big head because you can punch out the center of a target untimed at 10 yards. There's a lot more to shooting than that. I'm just asking you to step up your game for your own safety. Looking at some training. Think about your holster and you know what you need to do. Work on your dry fire. Work on your magazines. Unloading and reloading. Why is that important? A lot of stuff happens between your ears in stress. You want to be able to clear leather because there's nothing wrong with being concealed carry in your house. You can be in the most jacked up place like Washington, D.C. or Maryland where you can hardly ever get a permit, but you can carry concealed in your house. It's better to have a gun on you when there's somebody banging on your door or there's something funky happening downstairs. Then you have to go search in your closet, um, put a magazine in, grab your flashlight, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Carry while you're home. And before you get to that point, Learn how to do it right. Going back into the training business, and um, I just created a website called Freedman's Academy. There's a Facebook page for it, too. I'm rolling it out slow because I'm trying to figure out what curriculum I'm going to put on it, um, what's of value. And we'll probably be training up at, uh, in Odington, our friend's range. Great classroom. But we'll see where that goes. That one was just for my urban shooters, those who uh, live in or near the city. Oh, I can give you some more too. Like, believe it or not, most of your shooting circumstances are going to be between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. So you're going to need to do some low light shooting. And most ranges, they're not low light. So how well do you shoot in poor lighting? Just throwing it out there so that you can get your mind right. Because knowing is half the battle.
This week on episode 388, I want to share two books that I have. They are historical pieces from WW2, from Pacific War historian Dan King. Yeah. Dan King is a World War II Pacific war historian who reads, writes, and speaks Japanese. These two books will take you inside the mind of Japanese naval pilots in World War II. And then the second book I just got, A Tomb Called Iwo Jima, is first-hand accounts of Japanese survivors. You can find Dan at historicalconsulting.com. And the dude has spent 15 years working for Toyota, 10 years of which were in Japan, which allowed him access to these folks. And after returning to the U.S., he worked on several dozen movies. He's been a technical advisor, historical and language consultant. He's been a reenactment coordinator and a survivor of lymphoma. For the subject of war in the Pacific, he's talked to, personally interviewed over 97 World War II veterans in Japanese. He's been on several radio programs and spoken to hundreds of people about Japanese aviation. These two books will take you where nobody has gone before. Dan King is his name. And the second book, A Tomb Called Iwo Jima. And the first, The Last Zero Fighter. Once you check them out, if you get a chance, I have details of it all on the show notes for episode number 388. This one's from the Washington Post, shifting focus to the human side of the gun debate. Came out September 2nd from Cortland Malloy. Now, the backstory is this, that back in 1992, uh, Cortland interviewed me for my first book, Black Man with a Gun. And over the, over the years, whenever there's an issue, he'll send me an email and we'll talk about it. And I think he's changing ever so slightly. As was evident in this interview and this uh, report that he wrote, this opinion piece, this column in the Washington Post of all places. He writes, When my daughter was 14, she accompanied me to an FBI shooting range in Quantico, Virginia. An FBI SWAT team leader showed us how to fire a Heckler & Co. MP5 submachine gun. His safety regime was strict. The first time my daughter took a shot in semi-automatic mode, there were four hands holding the gun, hers and his. That experience in 1992 came to mind after the tragic accident last week at the gun range in Arizona. A nine-year-old girl lost control of a Uzi submachine gun she was firing and fatally shot the instructor standing next to her. I can understand why so many people are appalled, but there are other lessons in the tragedy besides the common refrain. Don't give a little girl a submachine gun. A cell phone video released by police showed just how fast the fun turned fatal. It's over in a flash. You have to watch closely to see what went wrong. Pay attention. That's a lesson in itself and one not easily learned in our distracted, impatient, multitasking society. 
giving my daughter car keys for the first time was far more worrisome than letting her fire a gun. Important lessons about gun safety are also likely to be missed because of how we debate, in quotes, gun control versus gun rights in this country, the winner being the side that makes the most political hay out of a killing before the TV cameras move on to something else. The discourse this time was arguably worse than most because of how unfairly some have treated the families. The death has set off a powerful debate over youngsters and guns, with many people wondering what sort of parents would let a child handle a Uzi, the Associated Press reported on August 27th, two days after the shooting. Charles C.W. Cook, an Oxford-educated conservative columnist, took his shot at the National Review on August 27th when he wrote, Contra to the Piers Morgans of the world, he wrote, referring to the former CNN talk show host, I don't think it tells us too much about the law, nor do I think that it's relevant to the question of firearms in the U.S., but it does suggest gross negligence on behalf of the range, the instructor, and the parents. Some might even argue or agree with him, but it takes a cold finger to point blame at a dead man and heartbroken parents as they try to console a traumatized girl. A lesson. The family of the instructor who died, Charles Vaca, 39, called the girl's family a few days after the shooting to see how she was doing and to assure her that they knew she had done nothing wrong, contrast to callousness. Shannon Watts, founder of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America, was also gracious, writing on the MSNBC website. Our thoughts and prayers are with the families, but it wasn't long before she launched into that dysfunctional debate format, making hay out of homicides. While news of the tragic Arizona shooting reverberated around the country yesterday, the NRA's campaign to attract female members, NRA women, sent an ill-timed tweet about how kids can, quote, have fun at the shooting range before quickly deleting it, she wrote. And the gun lobby supports laws that prohibit doctors from having life-saving conversations with patients about the risk of gun injury and how to avoid them. Watts had begun a lesson in gun safety with an appeal to a society that regards itself as moral and ethical, but she became preoccupied with the NRA, calling for a conversation about gun safety, and then concluded in the same sentence that it's also a conversation in which the gun lobby refuses to participate. I'm a gun owner, Cortland says. I can't speak for the other estimated 70 million gun owners, but my gun lobby is me and I'm not refusing to participate in a conversation. I visited the FBI outdoor training facility to learn more about automatic weapons, which were being used to devastating effect in drive-by shootings. The year before, 1991, there were 479 homicides reported in the District of Columbia. My daughter just wanted a chance to shoot a gun, having declared her intent to join the Marines. She became an acupuncturist instead, he has in parentheses. The instructor handed out eye and ear protection, put up some paper targets, and slowly guided us through various shooting modes, from semi-automatic to three-shot burst to a few blasts on full auto. We also took our picture afterwards. We were standing next to one of the targets. My daughter is smiling, having bested me, two bulls, eyes to none. I wish it had ended that way for the nine-year-old girl and her family. Of course, I don't expect those who whom guns are anathema to understand the appeal of a firearm or shooting range. But during my outings, I get to see the gun owners and not just the guns. The ones I know tend to be independent-minded and to place a premium on self-sufficiency, which includes self-defense. 
Focus more on the people. Both sides should. Everything else is just making hay. And that's what I'm talking about, Cortland. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to be a good example. That's what I'm asking all the listeners of the Black Man with the Gun podcast. You don't have to be an activist. Just be right. Just talk right. Just speak right. Just be conscious that you are an ambassador of the firearms community at all times. That you might be able to sway somebody by your stature, by your walk, by your swag. You got it? Thus ends the news, and thank you, Brother Cortland. Have you purchased a copy of Black Man with a Gun Reloaded? If you have, could you go on Amazon and leave me a five-star review? I need at least 40 reviews so that we can move that little book a little higher in the in the wherevers. So if you love me, will you please write a review on Amazon for Black Man with a Gun Reloaded? Ken has spent decades as a gun rights activist, law enforcement, firearms instructor, federal agent, Christian pastor, father, or a friend. Get the book that tells what he couldn't say before. Head over to blackmanwithagun.com slash book now to get your copy today. All right, I want to thank you for joining me this week. And hopefully I've said something that make you think, make you change, make you do something. Hey, that's what it's about. Information for the sake of information is just talk. You never know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have. Bob Marley. Shalom, baby. Until next time, friends. To keep in touch with Ken and his cause, head over to blackmanwithagun.com. 